Blog Talk Radio. Guy is waiting 
I'm actually going to let him into a closet in a minute while we talk, which will be really interesting. But, but champ, Mark David, is it batomped or batomped? Batomped would be more appropriate in Yiddish. Okay, well, that's the word for delicious. And just to tell you a little bit more about Mark David, well, he's been on the show a number of times. He's the author of 12 books. He is the author of the award-winning The Quintana Trilogy and the voice of the muse answering the call to write. He helps people with breakthrough experiences, either individuals or groups, and he just is all over the Internet. He has a US, You Are a Writer meditation that is very popular out there that helps people as well as a CD of meditations which accompany the voice of the muse. He has books on writing memoirs, he has written his own memoir all about surrendering. It's called Acts of Surrender. Um, and doing some of this from memory, which is funny because I don't have all my my computer right in front of me here. Um, he has written books on organic screenwriting. That's one of his books because he's also a screenwriter, and he is translating the Quintana Trilogy to the screen. There's quite a a following on the Facebook page for that, where people are anxiously awaiting seeing that that series of books, which is a wonderful fantasy series, translated to the screen. So I am going to welcome Mark David here to the show, and we are actually going to talk, Mark David, while I let the cable guy into the closet <laughs> to to shut down the cable which we are going to run this show on utter trust on the phone, which I'm going to just toss the ball to you, Mark David. How is that appropriate according to your work? Well, you know, trust and surrender is what all my books are about at one level or another and what my life's about at one level or another. So, hey, um, it's all perfect. And um, it's interesting that you're being... That you're being bumped up in speed as we speak, even if it doesn't show up on the showtime. And um, right. it's great It's great to be back, regardless. However, it's wonderful to have you back. <laughs> and, and see, I, I thought I had, okay, all right. I am in a highly symbolic mode. This is going to be a total free-flowing experience this show. Because I don't know if anyone heard me, I had to talk to the cable guy, and he actually has this beautiful accent. Sounds like perhaps he's from Russia, if I were to guess, or someplace exotic, perhaps the Ukraine, or I really don't know, but it sounds that way. And he said that he doesn't have, I don't need to open the closet, it's all on the outside. He said it's all readily available and that it's only going to be down for a few minutes, so we are actually going to test this and see what happens. Now, I brought this show to Expos before. Those of you who've listened to me at the Conscious Life Expo, and by the way, here's an appropriate thing to mention. Mark David has been there. Many of you may have seen him there last February or in the past. And I know, Mark David, that you had an experience at the Expo that helped lead to your writing this book, Sarah's Year, and perhaps you can talk to us about that. Sure. And I had I, forgotten about the, the about the connection, but yes. Um, I actually began Sarah's Year over a year ago um, 
also in L.A. Um, I'll just give us a little backstory before we get to the conscious life story. Um, yes, please. <laughs> I had some some health scares last year. Um, nothing that turned out to be significant, but in the moment, of course, a health scare is what it is. It's scary. And as I was going yeah. through all this stuff, um, one of the questions that I asked myself that I wasn't freaking out <laughs> was, um, you know, if if it's over or close to being over, what do I want to make sure that I do before I die? Yeah. And uh, very serious questions, you know, when you uh, when you yeah. when you think you you hear the clock ticking, and before I could even really think about an answer, the first thing that popped into my awareness, into my conscious awareness, was a big surprise to me. It was write another novel. Yeah. And I really had no plans or no ideas for a novel. Um, I'd written, as you mentioned, Susan, the Cantana trilogy, the three fantasy mm-hmm. stories. And um, while I had no objection to writing another novel, I had really no idea for a novel. Um, yeah. Anyhow, I was to be in L.A. to fall, I think the following week or a few weeks later, and I committed that I committed to whatever part of me spoke that, that um, when I, while I was in L.A., I would begin this novel I knew nothing about. And one evening after um, the friend I was traveling with and I had dropped my daughter back with her mom, um, we, went to, we went to a Starbucks on Santa Monica Boulevard, and I sat down to write. Um, now, I had this vague idea for a screenplay um, that began at a funeral. At a funeral. I yes. thought, well, maybe I'll just write this as a novel. And so I began to write. And the first scene that emerged that evening at Starbucks was nothing at all like I had imagined the story was going to be. Anyhow, Starbucks time was over. I didn't look at, I didn't look at that page, two pages, three pages again for seven months. And seven months later, I was back in Los Angeles with Susan, with you, Susan, at the Conscious Life Expo. Yes. And I don't think you were at the table when this happened, um, but um, it, the part of the table had my books, and I was signing books and selling books, and this this unusual-looking fellow, not not an unusual occurrence at a Conscious Life Expo, came off the table, very, very intent-looking, and he kind of, I stood up to greet him, and he looked at the books, and he looked at me, um, I shouldn't say looked, he kind of gazed intensely at the books and gazed intensely yeah. at me. And um, before saying much of anything else, he asked me, what's your rising sign? And I told him. Um, and uh, he said, he asked, and he asked, when do you normally write? And I told him what I tell everybody who asks me that question, which is there is no normal. <laughs> I write whenever the story, whatever I'm working on, whatever story or draft or book or whatever, calls on me to write. Sometimes I write better in the morning. Sometimes I write better in the afternoon. It just, it just depends. Well, he then proceeded to give me a very complex, to me, astrological explanation of why I would do best to write two hours before dawn. And yeah. um, and then and then he went on his way, and I thought, <laughs> two hours before dawn, it just ain't gonna happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, as I mean, I'm barely conscious. 
two hours after dawn. I just I'm not I'm not good first thing in the morning. So I I kind of filed that away. Except that the next morning, at the hotel, um, I woke up at four thirty, which was more or less two hours before dawn. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. Um, normally, I would have turned over and went and gone back to sleep. But I, remembering the the words from the day before, I just um, turned on my laptop um, and found um, those couple of pages of this story from from seven months earlier, and I began to write. And from that day on, the story just began to unfold. And so it 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 wasn't born at the Conscious Life Expo, but it it got a very powerful boost at the Conscious Life Expo. Okay. Sorry, Mark David, I was listening. That's okay. Uh, Something rather miraculous just happened, and I tried to document it, and I didn't do a very good job of documenting it. But I wish I could have somehow. (laughs) While you were talking, and then I'll respond to what you just said, they shut down the cable. I couldn't bring up a page, you know, it said, and I could see the little indicator that it was shutting down. But the entire time it was shut down, the studio interface to Blog Talk Radio, which you are familiar with, was continually yes. live and showing the time ticking the wow. whole time without wow. interruption. Now, <laughs> that could be taken various ways because part of the time, you know, you were talking about the, the finite nature of our existence, at least in a particular life. And I found that to be rather poignant, that the clock was continually ticking down, (laughs) although it never goes away, which is also another symbol here that there is. And I want to respond to that part of your experience here because I think it's really important for all of us, is that you spoke of how you had a health care and, you know, it seems like last year was a year for a lot of health care for people because a lot of people, for one, had different health insurance and things. And so they started, you know, what is when you go to the doctor, what happens? They find stuff. They find and, stuff, yeah. And, <laughs> yes, and that can be, there can be pluses and minuses to that. And so for whatever reason, what you remind us of, Mark David, is how do we live Thinking that way, realizing, you know, for any of us, I mean, you get out on the road, I mean, anything can happen. Heck, I mean, I had a, a, you know, we've had experiences in my own family with young people with, with health situations, and you just don't know. You don't know. And so Sarah's year has a lot to do about following the dreams of your heart, and I feel like that's what you did. And it's a beautiful example. Um, In fact, you've been so prolific, Mark David. I think, you know, sometimes those of us who have taken our time to actually publish our writing, which doesn't mean that we aren't writing, but to actually publish it, form, you're an inspiration to us, not only through your coaching, but through your life. Um, And and so, so I really feel that... Your process here, that part was important. And, yes, the entire time, I wanted to put it on video, 
for some reason, my video on my phone wouldn't work. It would not back. I took some progressive pictures like <laughs> this other part was because I couldn't believe it. How in the world was it? It's the thing that says on air, stream left, and it ticked down, ticked down. And now it's on 42, which is also symbolic to me because it's the um, it, it just splashed a 42, which is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. So, all right, well. I am just jumping all over the page, but it's that kind of morning. <laughs> and, um, and the cable guy is gone, although ironically, I look at the bars on my signal, it didn't really do much. I mean, I think the cable company proactively came out, which they never do, and they they did something out there, but it really seemed fine the whole time. Um and so we are back on just as normal. Um, so, so just just to 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 speak a little bit more um, to this this process of of writing Sarah's year market. This book is very different for you. I mean, when you enter into the world of Sarah's year, I mean, it's a it's a very rich and interwoven, um, even historic. In some, in many ways, tapestry. And something I appreciate, and I will tell you this: knowing you and those of us who follow your Facebook page, is how you put a lot of you into this book. Um, and I think many of us don't even know how much of you. And I'm sure I only glimpse it, but even in the little ways, like the references to the movie. And, you know, it has some very rich references, some of which were more literate. I'm becoming um, more more aware of literature in my life since I didn't take that path directly. And lately I'm becoming much more um, aware. And you have many, many references in this book. And you also have a character who's not particularly, you know, well-read, which is funny because... You know, I think that that represents many of us, too, in that, you know, we, we have our best intentions or maybe not. You know, we're just, there's a rich group of characters here, I guess I would say. And then the artist, and then there's music, too, references to that. Yeah, it was, it, it is very different from anything that I've, that I have written before, and, and, uh, of course, in a sense, why wouldn't it be? Why why would you why would we write what we've already done? Um, yeah, well, so I got to be challenged. I got to be challenged quite profoundly. It was um, it brought up all kinds of issues for me, um, both yeah. in terms of you know my personal life and in terms of craft, um, the craft of writing it. Um, yeah. And um, I had a lot of resistance um, off and on over the course of the experience. Um, but uh it's yeah i mean it's 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 um maybe i should tell maybe i should share a little bit about what the story actually is because we we yeah, kind of skirted please, around please, that please, and um, yeah please give give that and also some of the yeah some of the explorations you did um to to create this 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 world well i'll start with that and then I'll come back to it, but the, the world has kind of created itself for me, almost in yeah. spite of me, um, which is more or less how I normally write. But let's talk yeah. a bit about the story. Um, 
you've got two teenager girls named Esther and Sarah, and each each of them has really huge dreams. One wants to be a world-class writer. One wants to be a world-class artist. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, um, given, the, given the time and the culture, um, it's Jewish Montreal on the eve of World War II. Both end up doing what most young women of the time do. They get married, they have kids, and they leave their dreams behind. Yeah. When the story opens, when Sarah's year opens, it's 50 years later, and we're at Esther's funeral. Um, with us is Esther's son, Bernie, who's in his late 20s, and her old friend, Sarah. Um, and, of course, we know that Sarah did abandon her dreams, but at least she knew she had them. As for Bernie, um, Bernie is just, just too shut down to dream, or at least to dream consciously. And the story yeah. progresses. It's, they, Sarah and Bernie spend the next 36 hours together, um, basically re- revisiting their own lives and Esther's life. Um, and as they do that, um, Sarah begins to rekindle her lost dreams, and Bernie, almost in spite of himself, begins to discover dreams he never realized he had. And I guess the question that um, I don't really want to answer right now um, is, do they each have the courage to change their lives radically enough to act on those dreams? And I guess for that, you'll have to read the book, although there is, uh, of course, a very broad hint in the tagline. um, And the tagline for the book is, it's never too late to follow your dreams. Right. Yes. Now... So I, I feel. Yes, go ahead. I was just saying, so, so, so that's the story. Um, the scene that I wrote that day in Santa Monica, that evening in Santa Monica, was the funeral, um, or the, the, the beginning of the funeral. Um, and as I had envisaged it, envisioned it rather, um, in terms of the screenplay idea I had, the story was really going to be all about Sarah. Um, and there was no Bernie. Um, but what came out of me that first evening, um, to my stunned amazement, was something quite, quite different. Um, and the story that evolved was totally different from anything that I could have imagined uh, consciously. Obviously, I was imagining it, but it was, it was, the story was, was, in a sense, revealing itself to me both in terms of the storyline, but also in terms of the countless mind-boggling synchronicities that occurred for me, both in terms of the writing of it and in terms of the the plot revealing itself to me. Yes, yes. You know, it's funny you should say that because um, during the time that I was reading it, um, I was experiencing a high level of synchronicity as well. So I wonder if it somehow carries that through. I mean, I, I find that somewhat synchronistic in itself, that um, there are, there are synch- there, uh, you know, it, it's a magical world that we live in. And can it be that we all become involved in the process, you know, of the writing and the reading, that um, it, it, it's translating to many of us? Because I just have to say that the context within which I read this story was highly magical, and it seems that that's the context in which you wrote it. And it how was you always incredibly write magical. It, it was incredibly magical. Um, uh-huh. Uh 
I mean, to give you one example, um, I actually mentioned this example, I think either in the author's note at the end or the acknowledgments at the end, um, I knew it was going to be set uh, because of the age of the characters or it was going to begin with Esther and Sarah being in the 30s, in the mid, mid to late 30s in Montreal. And if they were going to be in Jewish Montreal, they would have had to attend a particular high school, which anybody from Montreal would recognize. It's called it's Baron Bing High School. Um, a high school from which many, many um, noted Canadians graduated from. In fact, he, William Shatner even went to uh-huh. Baron Bing, although he didn't graduate. I guess a family moved before he graduated, graduated from a different high school in Montreal. But many, many noted um, Canadians graduated from Baron Bing. So I was going to put it in Baron Bing because it was, it was the place to put it, just in terms of the geography of the city. And very early on in the story, I hadn't written very much at all. I think I posted a picture of Baron Bing on Facebook. Um, It's no longer a high school. It's now a community center. But I posted a picture of Baron Bing on on Facebook. Um, My mother, by the way, also went to Baron Bing because of that same generation. And my sister contacted me um, after she saw the picture of Baron Bing and what I was writing. And she said, did you know that our mother, did you know that the murals, the student murals at Baron Bing, that our mother was part of that? And I said, what mural? <laughs> I had no idea what she was talking uh-huh. about. So I Googled it. Um, uh-huh. Thank God for Google. Um, and discovered that during that period from the, I guess, the late 20s on until the 50s, um, the art teacher at Baron Bing was a well-known Canadian artist. Her name was Anne Savage. Yeah. And she began a project in a school that lasted for decades where they got rid of the institutional green and the students painted the walls, painted murals. And my mother, in fact, had signed at least one of those murals. Um, The murals, I understand, are gone, unfortunately. Um, And when I saw that online, I found found an old newspaper article about it. Um, Suddenly, the wheels began to turn and and all those you know and, and things start to fall into place and I thought wow what if one of those characters wanted to be an artist and what if Anne Savage was her teacher uh-huh. and suddenly Anne Savage became a character in the story fictionalized yeah. of course um, and art became a very important part of the story. And let me tell you another story, another synchronistic piece about, about Anne Savage. Um, one of my, as I'm, you know, as I'm researching Anne Savage and writing the story, um, I remember that one of my high school friends, different high school, same city, one of my high school friends, um, his mother was the art supervisor for one of, the, one of the school boards in the city. And when Anne Savage left Baron Bing, she was promoted to be art supervisor for the same school board. So I wrote my, so I, I, I sent my friend Greg a message on my old friend, because we, we had been in touch a whole lot on Facebook and said, um, did you know, Anne, did you know Anne Savage? Or did your mother know Anne Savage? And he wrote back and he said, Oh my God, Anne Savage was a mother's mentor. <gasps> and it's because of Anne Savage <laughs> that my mother got her job at the school board. Wow. And of course, I knew his mother. We were we were we were we were great friends in high school. Um, so in a sense, I was only one step removed from this character, from, from the real life version of this character. 
when I was, you know, yeah. when, when I was a teenager. And that, that, yeah. there were so many things that just blew me away, and that was just yet another one. And there was so, and we, could, we could do a ton of shows just on, just on all the weird and wacky and wonderful synchronicities that showed up for me that helped show me the story. Uh-huh. See, I find that fascinating because, uh, you know, I, I I don't know. We we live in such a, a miraculous world right now because, um, you know, I, I've known nothing about this story or, you know, any number of things. I'm starting to notice how um, as readers, and I believe this happens as writers too, um, we just are so incredibly connected. I mean, it seems like everything that I pick up anymore has something to say underneath the surface. <laughs> you know, that that, that, right. that often is impossible. Um, and it can be across time. It could be, I could be picking up, you know, I've had it happen, picking up, you know, Walt Whitman. <laughs> or, you know, and actually he's known for speaking across time directly his readers, um, but it can be just about anything. And there was, you know, I had a similar experience with your book. And it seems like, Mark David, that, that we share this space, the writer and the reader and the experiencer of life, um, where we're just all overlapping. I mean, it's just as if we're, we're um, you know, there's just no separation. And where inspiration comes, as you've always said, and how you write, I mean, especially, you do not force your own process. I mean, you let it come. Your stories just come. And that, not every writer does that. I mean, I know that that's what you certainly invite us to do, but uh, you especially, Mark David, just, you know, let the story come. And um, and I know there are other authors who do this, but... I'm just saying, the more you speak of synchronicity, uh, there is a magical context around all of us as writers and readers, and I had that experience with your work very much so. Um, let me just let me just throw in there in case anybody listening doesn't know isn't familiar with the word synchronicity. Yes. Um it was a word that, it was a word that was coined by Carl Jung, um, and um, he defined it as a meaningful coincidence. Um, yeah. And in fact, there were so many meaningful coincidences involved with his book that I actually included Carl Jung in the, in the acknowledgments for the book because um, it just it just never seemed to stop. Um, one one synchronicity tripping over the next before I had, before I had been able to fully integrate the previous one. It was just it was just stu- stunning, um, really stunning. Yeah. Yeah, and you know I find that uh, even even some of the work I appreciate that I found it so interesting that you included such a a rich artistic tapestry in this because um, it, it it was based to triggering some things with some research you know I'm doing into artists although it didn't specifically hit on that. Well, it's hard to explain. There were just some really unusual things that came through, and and I find that interesting. And because of your process, and this is why I'm really paying attention to this, because, Mark David, the way that you write, 
is so wide open, just opening yourself up to what comes. Um, I feel that you may be opening up a rather unusual world for those who venture into that work. And um, I, I, I really feel that the more as writers we open ourselves up to the, the muse, the more we open our readers up to what may be a, a quite the unusual experience of reading whatever worlds we create. Sure. Um, I, you know, this book is so different from the Moon Quest, the Star Quest, the Sun Quest, yes. at least on the surface. Um, yes. Real time, real place, including one real life character, one real life person. Um, and yet, um, any more than the Moon Quest, with the Moon Quest, I could not consciously have planned and plotted out this story the way the way it came out. I just maybe somebody else could have. I I could not have done that. I all I could do was was kind of write with my jaw on the floor, continuing to be surprised um, at at what the story was showing me. And I I want to I want to also speak to the process um, in another way that that I think I'm still kind of stunned by I have not quite integrated this one either um, you've read the story Susan you know there's a lot of back and forth in time yeah um, and uh, because of course the frame is at 36 hours after um, Esther's funeral but it keeps going back in time to Esther's life without Sarah or Sarah's life without Esther their life together and Bernie's life as well and um, I wrote the book the first, the first draft of the manuscript, um, in pretty much the exact sequence that you read it. Um, that's how the book came to me. I did not have to move anything around. I think I think I moved one scene um, for clarity. Um, yeah. But to me, and that's I'm not blowing my own horn by any stretch. What I'm trying to say is that. When we trust the story, when we yeah. get out of the way and, and trust the story knows its way better than we consciously could, then yeah. the story reveals itself much more close to its perfection than when we get in the way. So, for example, the first draft of the Moon Quest, my first novel, my first book, um, was you know, a chaotic tornado like disaster. <laughs> I mean it was yeah. it was very long and very convoluted and all over the place and names changed and things didn't 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 line up because I was determined to keep moving forward and not go back to correct as I went along. Um, uh-huh. for reasons that I talk about when I teach. Um yeah. but for Sarah's year, the first draft was I won't say it was perfect because it wasn't, but at least in terms of a sequence of the story, it was almost perfect. And I still can't believe that, even though I did it, (laughs) or it was Uh done through me, or however you want to, however you want to frame it. it. Uh, You let it come through that way because I I let it. Because it's it's way more complex in terms of craft, in terms of storyline 
than than my other novels, um, which were very which were for the most part fairly linear. Starts at the beginning and ends at the end, whereas this one is jumping all jumping all over fifty years of time. Um, I would think most people reading it would be astonished, Mark David, that you could just write that. <laughs> I mean, just, Hell, just the way I am astonished. it unfolds. I mean, the forget, way that forget it, I the mean, readers. I, I think so. Forget the readers. I'm astonished. I can't believe I did it. I, well, you know, see, the I, readers aren't going to know how you did it. I mean, unless they read about right. the process or are listening to us right. now. Or, listen, but or, or listening to, to us now. hear yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, to hear that that's how you let it come and the way that this story, I mean, I like, I would like to use the word crafted and yet the what's doing the crafting is, the story. Well, there is a craft involved. I mean, but yes, the story is writing itself. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And, you know, something about it, and it takes courage to do what you're doing. I mean, it really takes courage, Mark Davis, to just let it flow. And yet that's exactly what the story's about, too, is, is um, you know, about honesty, without getting into any details, but just, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a real thread of authenticity running through this um, and a call to authenticity. And and the struggles that people have as well, you know, when and when there are those voices outside of you, like there's this. I, I don't think I'm giving much away when I say cause it comes up pretty early. There's this this figure in the story the, which squelches dreams, you know. And there's always somebody, you know, in a life. There's like always that. Yeah, the dream squelcher. <laughs> yes, yes, and you know that just says no. You know, you can't go to art. You can't do this, you know. Um, and so you can't many. Be this. You know, I think it's even is even is even the stronger statement. You cannot be this. I yes. mean, you can't yes. do it. You can't. That's you can't it. be it. Yes, that is not an option. And you know the the story invites us to listen to where those voices are coming from in our own lives and. A lot of times, Mark David, they're not even real voices. There may be voices from our past that are sure. saying, you know, you can't be that. Just as you say, you cannot. And um, and sometimes even you should not. And it's based right. on some... Or you dare not. Or you, you dare not. <laughs> dare not. And this doesn't mean, you know, straying from one's loving center, whatever, you know, that can be. I mean, um, because sometimes people will listen to this sort of, I know we get many listeners, and once again today, um, I'm thankful we're on the front page right now, which means we're getting listeners from many backgrounds. And sometimes the idea of living life in this way, in a more free-flowing way or writing in that way, being honest, can be frightening and scary, or even you're not supposed to do that. And yet, it doesn't mean trampling all over everybody or, you know, that you don't have to stray from a loving spiritual core, which is where you are, you know, and many of us in the spiritual community are, while still flowing at the same time, and also being honest about 
humanity, you know, and what it's like to be a human being. Well, here's a very concrete example and not a very complex example from the story from Sarah's year. So when, when, when we're at Esther's funeral, Sarah is 61. Um, and, you know, it's been decades since she's written anything. Um, and she basically says, you know, I'm 61. It's too late. Yes. I, I had my chance. I blew it. It's too late. So, of course, is where the tagline comes from, because it's not. And exactly. so that's such a common one. I mean, I, I mean it's, it can be common with a 40-year-old as much as a 60-year-old, a 61-year-old. And she has to discover, as we all do, that whether we're 10, 50, 60, or 90, it's not too late. Yeah. Um, or whether if we, if, the, if we see the clock ticking, you know, when I began the story, um, there was a clock ticking, at least in my mind. Um, yeah. And which created a certain degree of urgency, certainly. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I don't even think I got this consciously until earlier in the show when I was talking about the story um, and the background of the story. Um, I began this book thinking the clock was ticking. Yeah. The story is about a ticking clock. In a sense. I still can't believe that the studio clock kept ticking down when we were disconnected. <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing. And the way it's holographic. I mean, I started the show saying this is going to be a holographic show. But there you go. I mean, it's it's a story contained within a story. Well, as, as all stories are. I mean, yes. um, clearly... I'm not I'm not Bernie. Except that I'm Bernie and I'm Sarah and I'm Esther and I'm Toshar from the Moon Quest and I'm Sadie yes. who is the Green Squelcher and I'm I'm <laughs> as the author I'm all these I'm all these people. Um yes. and uh which is not always easy to be. Um yeah. but um you know it's it, it's this story like the Quintana stories like all my books comes from a very deep place. And when it comes from a very, very deep place, yeah. a couple of things. One is it's incredibly scary. Yeah. Uh, it's incredibly scary to trust the story. It's incredibly scary to trust in writing something that you've never written before. It's yeah. incredibly scary to reveal parts of yourself that you've never revealed, yet you think you've never revealed before. Let's put it that way, because of course I have. Um and um, yet we have to do it. Because if we don't do it, I go back to, to a word you used earlier on, we're not being authentic, we're not being true to ourselves. And if not that I was aware of this while I was writing it so much, but certainly you know, a, a, a powerful theme in Sarah's year is being true to ourselves. Yeah. Being authentic. Um, Living our dreams, trusting our dreams, following our dreams, taking risks, yeah. Um, yeah. seeing the consequences of not taking risks, and seeing the yeah. consequences of taking and seeing the consequences Very of taking risks so. at the same time. Yes, yes, you really um, capture that because you're able 
to capture that. That that's why stories are important to us because stories such as these, they really, I mean, they're lessons. They they call us to our truest self. They um, and and you know something you talk about when you say Mark David, and I know you've had this experience with some of your other writing, is that sometimes within you as a writer, and you've spoken of this in the past, that. Um, there's a there's a scene in the Moon Quest that a lot of people find uncomfortable, and that you know when you draw forth as a writer, whatever comes forth, you know some of it can be dark, some of it can be light. It doesn't mean you're dark per se, but that you can you can bring forward um, just I guess you know within Sarah's year. Um, I mean these are rich, real characters, which means, you know, they're going to have shadow, they're going to have light, they're going to have, you know, that word, the shadow. I mean, they're going to, and as a writer, I feel that you come into a relationship with whatever nuance of the shadow you're working with, and also the nuances of the light. Well, you know, I... I think it's important, it's certainly healthier to write this stuff onto the page and to go act and to go act it out, and we all have this. We all have. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. We that all have dark. Well, we all have dark aspects to ourselves, um, and um, if we can find a way to express them in a healthy manner, um, then we don't hurt. We, we, rather than hurting people, we actually help them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, because certainly, you know. Um, if I'm every character in all my books, then you know I'm the really nasty SOBs as much as I as I am the good guys. Right. And I have right. to, and it's I have to be whether I like it or not. I mean, one of the yeah. one of the experiences I had. We've talked about this before when I was writing the Moon Quest. And I was writing some very disturbing scenes in yeah. the Moon Quest, um, which was I had a very hard time seeing myself as somebody who could write that. Right, exactly. It doesn't mean it's um, projected to you in particular. I mean, but you still were able to write it. It still came through. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, I there are parts of Sarah's year that make me incredibly sad. Um, yeah. And there are parts yeah. that that make me laugh and there are parts that, that bring me great joy. And I hope, I hope that's true for the reader as well. Uh, because yeah. all those things, all those things are in the story because all those yeah. things are in our lives. And the story is very much an expression, I think of really of every man's life in a sense. I don't think there's anything, I mean, it's set in a particular time, a particular culture, but I don't think there's anything specific about it. I think it's, I think that it really does speak, you know, I hope it speaks universally. Yeah. Well, there's a poignancy to it. I mean, and it's the reflection of, you know, the poignancy of, of human life. I mean, if, when you choose to reveal that in an authentic way, and, and you know, I, I you see that sadness. And, you know, there's always going to be the story of people... Many of us, you know, there may be a dream that we never pursue, you know, and 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 so we're going to see that reflected through the eyes of the story, 
Now it's yeah. never too late, which is your 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 way of looking at this. So we can all think of examples, I'm sure, where it became too late in one way or another. Or, um, you know, just the transiency of life that sometimes I think I made up a word, but that's all. <laughs> well, here's here's the gift. Here's the gift that Esther, who dies with her dreams unfulfilled, gives to her son or her best friend. She inspires them to not follow her example. Yes, and that's it. And, and, and you know, I feel, so yes. so from that perspective. Yes. So from that perspective, nothing about her life was in vain because she leaves a legacy of an amazing gift. Yes. In fact, this is a good book for young people uh, because uh, not only I've noticed something about the young people of today, the teens of today, they're particularly fascinated with that period around World War II. And I tend to believe it's because their grandparents, who they had a relationship with, are leaving us. And, you know, they they shared a rich history of that time, but they only got a glimpse. And so, although that's just the window through which you tell your story, I feel that, um, you know, that generation could find this book very interesting in in the just how you paint that period in a particular place. And then, yes see exactly what they need to see in terms of how do I make these choices now? Um, you know, in terms of every kid going into college has pressures from various voices and, and you know, how do they follow their own authentic voice, which many of us don't. I I didn't. I would have been a writer years ago. I mean, in many ways, um, Sarah's story, I, I very much relate to that in some ways. Um, and, you know, many of us have stories where dreams were kind of sidetracked, or but then we had reasons for why we did what we did. There's always that, too. So, you know, it all works. Of course. In any case, I see this as an inspiration for young people and that they would be interested in the historical context as well, very much so. Well, here's a, here's a, here's a funny story. At least I think it's funny. I have a 16-year-old daughter um, who has had no interest in any of my books including the fantasies, which I thought she'd be interested in, but she's keen to read this one. See? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I, mean, I believe that. I've read your go, daughter, go and I, I believe that. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> I could see that. And, you know, I could see something similar um, with my son, perhaps, you know, just because, um, I, yes, yes, I, I can see that. Um, very much so. So, um, and like my, you know, I, and like the, like the Cantana books, which were not written for young adults, yeah, and have a sizable young adult following because young adults love and teens love fantasy. Certainly, this book was not written for teenagers, but yeah. it was written. Well, you know what? It was written for whoever wants to read it. I guess that's you know, or whoever, yeah. or put put better. He was written for whoever the book wants to, get, to reach out and touch, because it's not—it's yeah. not up to me. It's—it's the, it's the story. It's, it's the characters in the story. I mean, they are incredibly real. Um, and um, as much as I love the Quintana characters, all of them, 
I have an affection for all these characters, including the super bitch. Um, <laughs> that, that yes. goes way deeper, I think, than the affection I I have for my Cantona characters. And that kind of surprises me. I you know parents shouldn't play favorites. <laughs> but, well, you know they're they're very um, they're real people. I mean these characters are real. They 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 yes. they just jump right off the page and are in the room with you. And and they're within our world and our context to a point. You know, when I first started reading real, yeah. it, I couldn't. Uh, one of my favorite stories from years ago is Crossing the Land Sea. And, you oh, know, yeah. you get into that world. <laughs> and, and anyone who knows that, that story, which is a very, uh, you know, the movie was what, Amy Irving was in it, you know. Right. And it's just one of, it's just one that touched my heart. Um, many years ago and your story at the you know when you first get it is reminiscent of that in a way i i can't it's that world um mm-hmm. and and you know there are other worlds i've seen recently it's funny i keep seeing this world appear i don't know why but there was another story i saw it was like on hallmark hall of fame um i this one was about hasidic jews in new york i can't remember what it was mm-hmm. called but yet there's some nuances of that, you know, and it's a it's a very fascinating world um, that's real. I mean, and you're giving us a window into what it was like in Canada, you know, at this time, and and so I think that that that's part of it is that um, you know it's always going to call us to all of these things they map together, and then all of our experiences with understanding a particular time, a particular place, and then we see it in a new way, you know, in a richer way, like in your work. Now, I see that, because this has been a, this has been a quite a, quite a flowing show for both of us, and, and um, we're down to about the last, getting close to the last five minutes for the, the live show, um, and I did want to give you a chance, because, um, I know that something else you're involved in right now, Mark David, um, is working with people with these breakthrough experiences, which is a, a description of what you do that maybe people haven't heard in the past, called it quite that way. And I wondered if you could just very momentarily here um, talk to that just a little, because some writers and creative people, and anyone really, may, may be called to work with you. Sure. Um, you know, in, 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 in a sentence or two, basically, if you have a story that you're struggling with or if you feel called to write and don't know what the story is, um, that's where the breakthrough can happen, and that's what I can help facilitate for you, whether it's one-on-one or whether you have a group um, or however you want to structure it. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty much what it is. I also want to mention, because we've been spending a lot of time talking about Sarah's here, that um, the book launches officially on October 3rd. Um, yes. And um, it'll be available in all the usual online places. However, um, if you want to order a copy now from sarahsyear.com, S-A-R-A-S-Y-E-A-R.com, you can get a signed copy uh, before uh, anybody else if you order soon, because I will be sending out the first batch of books probably next week. Um, and there aren't that many left unclaimed in that first batch. Um, so sarahsyear.com or just go to markdavidgerson.com 
um, and go to the books section and um, if you'd love, if you'd like a signed copy, I mean, the first on your block with one, then uh, don't wait too long. And, and there's information on what I do as well um, in terms of helping helping writers and other creatives uh, on my website at markdavidgerson.com. And I will tell people they will find a link if you're looking at this show in a way that you can see it. Um, I know a lot of people are, are are actually. I'm surprised at how many people listen on their phones. There's people are listening to this in all different ways, but there is a link. MarkDavidGerson.com is visibly shown on the page, and you can click there. And also, if you click Sarah's here on the show page, that goes right to the book page on on that site. So, um, so yes, I do hope that people will, you know, uh, order this book and. And um, even after the release day, whenever people are listening to this show, even a couple of years down the road, uh, <laughs> this is a book to, to check out. So, uh, I have to say, I have been, I have been stunned and very gratified by the advanced interest in the book. Um, yeah. For the most advanced interest I've had since the Moon Quest all those years, all those years ago. So it's it's exciting for me um, to have Wonderful. to have the story out there and to have people excited. To um, to experience it themselves. Yeah, well, I'm so happy for you, um, and I'm so glad that you brought it here today to this show. Um, I'm honored to have you here at uh, upon the the eve of the release here of, of this new book, and um, and so thank you, Mark David, from my heart um, for for being here and for all that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susan. It's always a pleasure to be here. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and your audience as well, of course. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for for being here within an unusual context. It just goes very smoothly, (laughs) doesn't it? Life is an unusual context, so. (laughs) (laughs) It is. So, So thanks again, Mark David, so much. You too. Just a quick show note before the live show goes down. The next show is Friday, September 18th at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Mary Mueller Shuton will be here talking about her new book, and this is a new guest for the show, Spiritual Awakening. So that will be a very interesting show. Another Finhorn Press author, which I welcome very much so. Uh, we certainly had some wonderful guests from Inhorn Press on the show and from other publishers. I'm just so enjoying uh, the wonderful people coming this way. You can go to FrontierBeyondFear.com always to see the archived shows and also to see what's coming up. There's quite a rich schedule going on till the end of September. I haven't, haven't posted October yet, um, but we have a lot going on through the end of September, so pay attention to that. A lot of really good shows coming up, and there's also a way to support the show if you feel so called on FrontierBeyondFear.com, keeping in mind that all shows have regular maintenance costs, and this is a listener-supported show, and I very much welcome your support of the inspirational messages coming out here. So thank you, everyone, for being a part of this community, and I hope that you listen and look into what Mark David Gerson has created here and follow your own dreams. 
so that you can live a full and rich life, no matter what your age. Um, it's never too late, as Mark David advises us, to follow your dreams. Take care, everyone. See you next time. Thank you.